How are you this morning? Oh, there we are. There we are. We're in this uh, series called uh, Unashamed. <laughs> Unashamed. Through the book of Romans. It's a big book. It's an important book. 16 chapters. We started last week. And this morning, we're going to try to go from 118, chapter 118, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20 or so. I'm going to summarize those uh, last few, uh, chapter and a half almost, because of time. But here is the point, the thesis statement that Paul is making to the church in Rome. It's found in Romans 1, 16. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes First to the Jew, then to the Gentile, following the order of Scripture. God first called the Israelites, and then through them, through Abraham's family, he reaches all of us. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That is his thesis. I uh, taught you last week that through this book, God is righteously righteousing unrighteous individuals. God is righteously righteousing unrighteous individuals. And this morning, uh, we are going to talk about the problem. What, what, what is the problem that, that God is rescuing us from? Why do we even need salvation? I remember a conversation. I spent a year abroad in my uh, college days, and one of my good friends, he was a good guy, and, and we had a conversation about faith, and, and you know, he, he just told me, it's not that I don't want to believe, it's, it's that I don't have to believe. My life is good. What do I need help for? I uh, have a good, uh, good family. I'm going to get a good job. And, and now he has a great job. He, he just didn't see the need. And we need to understand that we all have a dire need, especially if we call ourselves Christians. We have been saved from the pit of hell. Literally, God has loved the hell out of us. <laughs> That's the gospel. He loved it out of us. It's gone. And we now, in Christ, are a new creation. If you're here and you're figuring out what it looks like to follow Jesus, come back next week. Because this week, we're going to talk about the problem of sin. And it's important to talk about the problem because it has to do with the power of God bringing us again from death to life, but I want you to come back next week because I want to. I want to hit that again. We don't have enough time to do that. We're going to get busy, so I'm going to just go to it. But why uh, do we have a problem in our society with uh, just even talking about sin? A couple of things come to mind. First, there's a train that I came across, a couple of books, Campus Crusades for Christ uses this train, and uh, Emotionally Healthy uh, Discipleship by Pete Scazzaro uses this train as well. It's called Fact, Faith, and Feeling, and the point of this is that facts should drive the train, not feelings. Sometimes, especially now in our culture, it's very popular for feelings to drive the train of our life, for that to be the engine. We're off track a lot if that is what is navigating our life. Life. If we are just being swayed by every feeling that comes, with every thought that comes, man, the good news of Jesus is that there is capital T truth, facts. And when we put our faith in those facts, then we can reap the benefits of peace, joy, and righteousness that come with having faith in the one who is actually in control. So it's important for us through this book, as we navigate through all of these different themes that Paul is writing, 
to know that there is capital T truth. Not only do we know the truth, but the truth sets us free. It changes us. It renews our minds. And before we know it, we have completely made a U-turn and we truly are a new creation in Christ to fulfill his purpose here on earth. Woo. Okay. Uh, Hector, you prayed that I would say what, man, I got to stick to my notes. Otherwise we're not going to get through this. We have a problem and it started early on in, in Genesis chapter two. We read this verse Last week, this was God's intention. This was God's plan when he created us in his image, us being human beings, for us to be naked and unashamed. No shame. To be fully vulnerable and transparent, pure, and, 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 and in right standing with God. The problem happens a couple of uh, cha uh, a chapter later, a couple of words after when we have been deceived by the enemy to think that we now know best. We don't need to trust our creator. We can create on our own terms. We can live life according to however we want to do it. And so this was the result. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that God told them not to. And then it says the man, Adam and his wife, Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they did what? They, they hid. All of a sudden, shame comes into the picture and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. He pursues us and he asks, where are you And he answered, I heard you in the garden, so I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Shame puts our head down. Man, when, when we're being made righteous by a righteous God, he lifts up our heads no matter what we have done here on earth and calls us a son and a daughter of God. That is the beauty of God's solution. Again, we're hitting it now. We'll go again uh, and camp there next week. But, but why, well, how big is this problem? How big was that one decision? Well, it was massive. It, it snowballed into where we are right now. Sin is three-dimensional. There's sin done by me. Those are the mistakes that I make. I'm in control of, of, of those decisions, and, and they reap a consequence that, that, that I deserve because I committed that Sin. And then there's sin done to me. We don't often talk about that. That's hurt. And those are wounds. Other people's sin inflicted on me. We all enter this world into a broken world with a broken family because we all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And then the third dimension is sin done around me. So there's sin done by me, sin done to me, that hurts, hurts our wounds. And then there's sin done around me. And that, that's just when, when tragedy strikes, you read of these terrible things happening, you, you know and experience death that you just can't explain. You just see this, the, the broken state of the world that needs the gospel. We, we read this definition last week of what the gospel is. It is the good news that Jesus came to rescue and restore all of humanity through his life, death, and resurrection. He's trying to rescue and restore us from sin. Uh, in the garden, they, they hid. Now, we don't really hide from sin anymore as a culture and as a society. We actually celebrate it. We condone it. We approve of it. Today is the Super Bowl. Who's watching the Super Bowl? 
Oh, come on, more hands than that. Started talking about sin, you got shy on me. So, a lot of us are gonna watch the Super Bowl. Not all of us, I get it. Uh, some of us are gonna bet on, on the Super Bowl. This year, uh, through a change of laws now, Betting is legal through our phones, FanDuel and other websites that you can bet on the Super Bowl when you can make a quick buck off of somebody else's work. That's a pretty good thing. That's, that's, that's enticing. Did you know? 50 million men on average. Women, you're excluded from the stat. I don't know why. 50 million men are uh, estimated to bet over $16 billion. Bet, betting is not a sin. So if you're, if you're like, I, I already placed my wager, man. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a sin. Here's what can happen, though. It can lead to a bad habit, a redirection of our finances that will lead us to a hole where God has called us to earn our wages and be good stewards of the resources he's given us, right? Betting leads us the opposite direction. So that's just, uh, I'm, I'm painting this downhill slope. Here's the next one. This last week, I, I read uh, 30 miles north of where I lived in the Netherlands my junior year of college, Amsterdam. You know the city. They're famous for sin. Red light district where prostitution is legal. Marijuana, you could have, now you can buy it anywhere. But back then, it was, it was one of the few places in, in the world that you can legally purchase it, smoke it, all of that stuff. Well, they just passed a law. You can only uh, smoke marijuana on the streets of the red light district where prostitution is legal, 4 p.m. I'm sorry, uh, you, you can no longer smoke. There you go. You can no longer smoke. And then it said they're cutting alcohol sales 4 p.m. on. Why? Because sin builds on sin. You can't just have one sin and say, no, I have this really in control. I don't really need to confess it. I don't need to change. I got it. It's just little. There's no stopping sin. Once we allow sin to enter, it's designed to multiply and lead us one direction, and that's south. That's why we need salvation. That's why we need to be rescued. That's why Paul wrote this in verse 16, 17. Let's just read it again because we're going to go right into 18. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Verse 18, the wrath of God. Aren't you glad you came this morning? The wrath of God is being revealed. We just read that the righteousness of God was being revealed, and now same uh, side or different side of the same coin. Now the wrath of God is also being revealed from heaven against one group of people, mm -mm, against one ethnic group. Mm -mm, that's what Paul later talks about. We're not going to cover it today, but Jews and Gentiles alike need God's salvation. So all godlessness and wickedness of people. This is a cultural commentary who do what? They suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them. This is talking about general revelation. When we all come into this world, we have a decision to make. Did we make this, or did God make this earth? Are we in control, or is there somebody outside moving things? Am I going to be some sort of theist, or am I going to go against any sort of intelligent design, which is atheism, uh, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Again, we all fall under the cover of the same sky, same stars, different placement, no matter where we 
are in the world. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was been made so that people are without excuse. This is the word of God, and we need to know what it says. I hear it often. Well, what about those that are in, you know, Pacific Island? They've never had the gospel preach them. Will God send them to hell? Two things. Number one, let's go there as believers. Let's go on mission. Let's tell them about Jesus. Number two, we're not the judge. Let's not act like we are the judge. We'll get into that. But what the facts say here is that people are without excuse. And one of the problems of sins is that uh, sin holds the truth back. It, it, it's like a, a rope holding a ship that is tied to the, uh, what is it called? The deck, the, uh, that. Yes, and it's holding the ship back from what it was designed to do. It's not a buoy. It's a ship that's supposed to be navigating the open seas. Sin holds us back from who God created us to be. That word suppress literally means to hold back. We, we suppress the truth. We're like, no, I don't want to do, deal with it. And when we do that, it actually is keeping us from living out God's plan for our lives, which is a beautiful thing and is what's best for us. So I want to make three points. And with these three points, I want to ask us questions that I believe are antidotes to the problem. So instead of suppress the truth, I, I wonder how is our awe doing? How, how is my awe doing in, in God? When, when I think about God, am I in awe in the same way that I was in awe of my wife when, when, I, when we first got married or celebrating Valentine's Day here, here soon? We want to be in awe. We want to be in love. We want to be we want to hold God at such a high place in our lives. And we're like, man, God, you are awesome. And, and, and we do that through this general revelation, he's given us this beautiful world where we can just slow the pace of our life down, go on a walk, go find a state park, get lost in God's incredible nature where we get to realize we're not in control. We can't do much. We're under his authority, under his love. That's the first thing. I want to tell you another uh, Quick, quick story here that has to do with, with sin uh, uh, before we go into these three truth statements where it says uh, man exchanged. So we exchanged something and then God, it says that God gave us over. So we're at a point in our culture. I know it's no mystery. It's no news to any of us where sin, we're not calling sin, sin anymore. I was um, on a date with my wife. We were in Austin and uh, we were hanging out at a uh, Nail salon. So I know uh, I'm not the only one in the house that has gotten a pedicure. And I'm working on humility and being unashamed of who I am. And so I've done it a few times. And if you know, you know. So again, I know I'm not the only one. But anyway, I'm secure in who I am in Christ. <laughs> I'm having a conversation with uh, this woman who comes in. She's very chatty. I'm obviously reading my book. I obviously am kind of ashamed of being there. Therefore, I don't want to talk to anybody. And she's just prodding. I'm like, okay, I'll talk. And so we start talking and she asked the question, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. She asks me this, 
are you a modern pastor? Now, if you don't know what she meant by that, let me tell you what she meant by that. Are you changing God's word to fit whatever you want it to say? Uh, is, is the word of God conforming to, to what you want it to say, or, or are we being transformed by God's word? So I didn't say that. I wish I did, but I didn't think fast enough on my feet. I told her, uh, ma'am, I, I, I love God. She was older, uh, so ma'am, ma'am, I, I love uh, God, and I love his word. So yeah, I'm a pastor in 2023. I'm a modern pastor. And she didn't like that answer. She went a step further and said, so are you saying that, that I'm going to go to hell because I don't believe in Jesus. And I told her, I did not say that. Uh, that's God's word. And I can tell you that I'm also not the judge. Uh, my job is to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's it. And um, she veered off and started saying there's other ways, you know, and talked about other, other things. But, but we need to know what God's word says because we need to grow in our unashamingness, if that's even a word, of God's truth, because with God's truth comes God's love, and we pair those two together. It is a beautiful thing. One more thing. We talked about God's wrath. God's wrath is different than man's anger. It's really important that we recognize that. Man's anger is uh, sporadic. When, when, when I tell my kids, you know, they do a bad thing, and so I say, hey, go to your room, or you have a consequence, I kind of like, whoop kick off and, and change my demeanor. Uh, God's wrath is not an emotion. God's wrath is his uh, disposition. It is his, it's settled. He is uh, righteous. Therefore, if anything that is unrighteous comes near God's righteousness, it, it, wrath comes out because it is not righteous. That's why we need saving. That's why we need to come under the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ that righteously righteous is unrighteous individual. So it's important to see that God's wrath is not an emotion. It's who he is. He is just, and therefore there is God's love, and there's God's righteousness within the face of unrighteousness. There is wrath. Let's keep reading. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And here's the first exchange. And they exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So, so man exchanged, we exchanged a truth for a lie. And then it says God's response was that he gave us over. He gives us free will, which is different than freedom. Freedom is when he's purchased us back and paid the consequences, paid the bill that we should have paid because of our sins, and now it's clear. That's freedom because now we're free. We're not being held back by the sin. Free will is saying that God's not going to send a bolt of lightning to keep us from sinning. He wants us to choose him just as he has made a covenant and chosen us. 
And so we see this dynamic here with God exchange, uh, us exchanging the glory of a mortal God for idols and God giving us over, which leads to sinful desires, sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. It's interesting that in many, many societies, idol worship leads to some manifestation of a sexual ethic. So that's what Paul is getting at here, is that idol worship is the real wrong. When we turn from God to our own way, then it manifests itself in various different ways. And one of the most clear of those ways is, well, how are we as a culture, how are we as society behaving sexually? Why? Because when God created us in his own image, he created us to be fruitful and to multiply. And so when we turn to other things, we're actually rejecting his design for us, his design for human flourishing. Here's a couple of idols that we worship that lead to that, because we're going to talk about sexual immorality here in a second, but it's important that we acknowledge these idols. Hedonism. Hedonism says, my satisfaction and pleasure is the ultimate This is when we say, whatever feels good, whatever tastes good, I'm just going to go after it. I'm going to run after those things that I want. Individualism is that my needs are the most important, so I take care of myself at the expense of any other person. This can happen when uh, men, we're too focused on our careers, where, where we neglect the role that Hector talked about earlier, being priest of our home, uh, needs most important, what we have, what we get, those things. And then relativism is that my truth can coexist with your truth. And this is where Christianity is just getting hammered because we're trying to create this relativistic culture where all, you know, folks or beliefs are, are welcome. And, and well, we just don't fit there for in Christ. We say, no, I'm, I, my, my life has been pot, bought with a price. I'm a follower of the way of Jesus Christ of uh, Nazareth. Uh, he's my God. He's, he's my Lord. I'm going to follow him. And, and that means I'm not going to follow any of those other things. Christianity is offensive first to us personally, and then to society as a whole. And so these are idols that then lead to different things. There's other idols. I just called those three out because they're pertinent to our culture today. Um, and so let's ask this. Well, let's keep reading and then uh, we'll, we'll go to the point. They exchanged the truth. Here's the second exchange. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than creator. Again, idol worship, who is forever praised, amen. I love that he put who is forever praised, amen, because he's saying God is forever praised whether we praise him or not. Uh, nature, creation is, is praising God. And then um, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, here we go, last gave them over. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they 
do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. I'm going to read this list quickly because there's 21 of these. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice that. Y'all, this was written in 56 AD to a metropolis, and it is so true for us today. We exchange God for something else, and then God just says, hey, if you want to go that way, I'm not going to stop pursuing you. Uh, he's always present. He's always there for us, but he's not going to stop us from doing those things. Here, here, here are the points. The points are that we, am I exchanging God's truth for less? If we look at these things, I want, to, I want us to ask ourselves, are we settling for less? Any of these things. And, and we need to know that the problem is sin deprives our understanding of who we are. It actually has to do with an identity issue. And when I look at this topic that can get me canceled in this world in just a second, which is homosexual activity, which Paul so clearly talks about as part of this whole issue with idolatry and this whole issue of the problem of sin that Jesus came to rescue us from, man, it, it, it's an identity issue in our culture. That, that is who you are, says the culture. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, then you have to belong to this group. And when we are in Christ, we are not identified by our sin issue. We are identified by the one who purchased us and paid the price for our sin. So, so we got to put this into perspective. Who are we? Man, we, we are sons and daughters of the Lord most High. And, and the, the problem with sin is that it changes that understanding in, of, of, of who we are. We start thinking that we're someone that we're not. We stop recognizing that we are made in the image of God. And, and so the other thing, too, is that that one sin issue has been isolated a lot of times through the church. We, we have just said that that is the one, like the worst of sins. When Paul so clearly, let's hit that list, there's 21 other sins that he calls out here. Wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder. I'm not going to read them all. They're there for you to see. And I hope that as we recognize what we have exchanged God's truth for, it allows us to receive his grace and his understanding for other people that struggle with different things. The point that Paul is making is that idolatry always manifests itself sexually in a culture and society. We're seeing that in our culture right now. And as a response, marriage is now being redefined. And that's something that the state did not create. That is a God-created institution of marriage. There is these verses, Jesus in Matthew 19, he says this about marriage. He's being asked about divorce. So it's kind of like a trick question. And he's saying, hey, are we not allowed to be divorced? And, and, and he says, haven't you read that at the beginning, so this is in Genesis, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two 
but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. If you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard that whole thing. And it's, he's, he's not just talking about one couple. Don't separate one couple. He's talking about don't separate marriage from God. Don't separate men from women. No, this is my God-given design to humanity so that we can flourish, so that we can create a beautiful kingdom here on earth that models his kingdom on heaven until he comes back and makes all things new. Let's go back to that point, Kara, please. Um, oh, yeah, no, that, that's good. Uh, go to the following one. I didn't read that. Uh, why then, they asked, did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So, so they're asking them for a cultural issue of, of marriage. Why then, you know, did Moses say that it was kind of okay? And, and Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But, but it was not this way from the beginning. He's saying, God's been slow to anger. God's been kind to you. He's tried to help you see that we have a root problem called sin that God came to take away to renew and redeem us in his image. And, and so it's the same way, not only for sexual sin, but any sin. Let's put that list up again if we can. Am I exchanging God's truth for something less? I wonder which one may convict us, may, may just strike uh, differently in us so that we can confess that. That's how we're going to end. But we got one more point because it, it only gets worse. And then I'm done. I promise. Not only have we continued to do these very things, but we have also approved those very sins. And we've moved in to God's job title as judge. He says this in Chapter two, verse one, you therefore have no excuse. He's now not talking about the culture. He's talking to this church in Rome. You therefore have no excuse. Who what? Who do those same things? No, he's saying who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, an imperfect human being, pass judgments on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Man, if we miss, let's not miss this part. It is God's kindness that leads us to him. It's his patience. It's his forbearance. The reformers called God's wrath his strange work, and he calls this his familiar work. They're both important, and we got to hold both in balance. His kindness that leads us to repentance. A couple more verses. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. That's the day to come. So earlier we talked about the present wrath that happens when God gives us over and we experience those consequences. Now he's talking about the day of judgment that will come when Jesus comes back to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality he will give eternal life. Uh, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, 
than for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. He continues again through uh, chapter 3, verse 20, talking about Jews, Gentile. Man, God, everybody needs salvation. We are all unrighteous, and we are all being righteously righteous by the only righteous one. Here's the last point. Problem of sin moves us into judgment, which is God's place. Question for us, am I seeking God's glory or my own? Sometimes when I try to seek my own glory, that's when I try to compare myself to others and I tend to judge. There's an important distinction that we need to make between discernment and judgment. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and wrong. Judgment occurs when we do not love in between. We, we discern, man, that person, man, in my life, something's off. And, and, and when we don't love, when we don't pray, when we don't approach in humility and understanding, that then, then judgment ends up being the result. Man, what if we were a people who discerned, knew what God said was right, what God said was wrong, and then we loved and approached people with grace and truth. That's what our culture needs. That's what will lead us back to God as a society. So am I seeking my glory or God's glory? See, when we look at these, it's easy as a church, as Christians, to see ourselves as an us versus them continuum or extremes. Us, Christians, them, sinners, man, There's no such thing in the Bible. We're all sinners. There's us, God, versus, or or us, sinners, versus him, God. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We got to recognize, receive, hold on to that as we live our life. This message is important because uh, we need to know God's truth and we need to be transformed by it. I want to close by quoting Peter. This is in the book of Acts. This is the beginning of the church. Peter is preaching to a group of Jewish folks from many different countries. Many different languages are hearing Peter preach them. It was a miracle. And uh, he tells them, hey, Jesus of Nazareth, this man uh, came. He lived the perfect life. He, he came to be the perfect sacrifice. And, and, then, and, then, and then he died. He, he died because you sent him uh, on a cross. And he died a criminal's death. And, and the people heard this. It says in verse 37 of Acts 2, they were cut to the heart and they told Peter, what do we do? And here's how I want us to respond as we close in worship. Worship team, you can come back up. Verse 38. Peter replies, repent means turn to God and and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then he said, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation and those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. There was revival when there was humility, when there was confession, when there was understanding that we are unrighteous, but God is on a mission to rescue and restore 
us, you may have heard, in this small university, Methodist University, in a small town in Kentucky, something really amazing has been happening. On Wednesday, a normal chapel started, normal chapel day started, and they're, they're still going. That was last night. Chapel has not stopped. They, they have stayed worshiping. They had stayed praying. Many are calling this a revival. Here's what happens when God, the Spirit of God, comes in a special way. I don't, I'm not smart enough to understand how, but I know and I've seen it happen. He comes and he leads people to repentance. If we want revival to start in our communities, it has to start, revival has to start in our hearts by recognizing our unrighteousness and turning to a righteous God who loves us. Will you pray with me? We ask, Father, for revival in our country, in our state, in our city, in our community, and in our heart. I pray, Father, that we would recognize your kindness, your love, the joy that it is to be called your son and your daughter. And I pray, God, as we respond to you, that, that we would take this to heart and confess, acknowledge our need for salvation, acknowledge our need for forgiveness, maybe for the first time. If uh, you have yet to say yes to Jesus, this was a good message to respond to. Nothing that I've said uh, is, is what you're feeling. That's the Holy Spirit of God that's pursuing you, and he's asking you to just surrender to him and say, I, I do believe that you, Jesus, are the Son of God, the one who paid the perfect price that my sin deserved, and through your life, death, and resurrection, I now have everlasting life. I receive you this morning. I thank you, God, for what you're doing. I pray.